When I was a kid, I used to love to enjoy putting together puzzles. Now, also when I was a kid, the puzzles that I would put together had like 12 pieces, and they were all like side pieces or corner pieces, and you know when you find like the little side or the corner thing, you're good. And I, I loved puzzles when I was a kid. However, as I got older, the puzzles got more complicated. There was like the 100-piece puzzle, um, and the, I was good with that. I was good with that. And there was like the 250-piece puzzle. The 500-piece puzzle will make you lose your salvation. And the 1,000-piece puzzle will make you renounce Christianity. I mean, th this thing right here, um, for, we could be quarantined for the next four years. I would never get this put together. Um, because about halfway through, I start looking for like nail guns and glue guns. I'll just make something fit. This is, this is a thousand piece puzzle. Now it's, it, what it's supposed to look like is beautiful. There's a two people in a canoe and tent. They're kind of, I guess they're quarantined. I don't know, but they're, they're kind of hanging out. It's a beautiful, like, like that right there. Like I, I would love to see that picture, but it's a, it's a thousand pieces to put it together. And that's the way, some of you are like, okay, I, I'm wondering what this has to do with my life and Christianity and the book of Esther and all that stuff. Well, I'm, I'm going to get to that because this is what most of us want, but when it comes to life, this is how most of us feel. And we, we want this, but we feel like our life is like, this and and where do you start putting this together so we can get to this place and that's what we're going to talk about today and in this series we're going to talk about the book of um the book of Esther over the next 3 weeks if you're a bible person if you're a church person um you you have never heard the book of Esther taught like we're going to teach it, especially today. I'm going to share some things with you that I'll just say this, the more Christian you are, the more bothered you're going to be, but it's in the scriptures and we're going to go there. We're going to go there over the next three weeks and on Facebook and on social media, I'll be doing some devotionals and some additional thoughts that go along with this series. All right. Just want to let you know. So the book of Esther, let me kind of set this up. There's two main characters in the book of Esther. There's Esther, um, obviously, and there's a guy named Mordecai. Now, Mordecai is a good dude. Mordecai is Esther's cousin. He's her older cousin, and he was in some sort of leadership position in Israel when Israel got taken captive by Babylon. Now, when the Babylonians came into Israel, they didn't just, like, destroy the city. They took the people from Jerusalem captive, marched them across two deserts back to Babylon. And so Esther's mom and dad, at some point in her life, we don't know when, but Esther's mom and dad had died. And so Mordecai was her older cousin, and he kind of took her under his wing and, and, and kind of protected her and watched over her, was like a father figure to her as they went on this exile together. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I'm, I'm going a little crazy, and I know people are going a little crazy in just a quarantine, just a suggestion to stay home. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be taken over by a foreign nation, taken out of your home, transplanted into another place where they spoke another language and another culture, and you were essentially captive in that land. I, I don't know how that would feel like 
exactly, but I'll bet you it felt like this. I'll bet you Esther and Mordecai probably at some point thought, if there is a God, how could he let our lives fall to pieces? What they didn't know at this point is it was going to get worse for them before it got better. It all starts off with a party. Esther 1 starts off. And when I say party, we've all been to some parties, okay? I, I know probably some of you have, have not, and, and that's, that, with the Second Chance crew, that's a real slight minority. But, but most of us have been to a party or two. And I'm talking like it wasn't just a social gathering. This was a party. I'm talking where your where your buddy's cutting down your neighbor's tree with his brand new trains, chainsaw. I mean, that kind of party. People are speaking cursive, getting sideways, whatever you want to call it. This party was so wild. Listen to me. It lasted 180 days. Now, I don't care how much you've partied in your life. None of you have ever done that. None of you have ever partied for 180 days because you wouldn't be alive. But this went on for 180 days. Now, the last seven days of the party, the king decides to like crank it up a notch. And so he cranks it up a notch. And then when he does, this is, I, there's all these pieces all over. I think I buried my remote control. There it is. Hey, look, <laughs> you can find beauty in pieces. Um, that, was, that, was, that was free, by the way. That was, that was just there. This is what scripture says. On the seventh day of the feast, so this is the last day of the like 180-day party and everything's getting crazy. Xerxes, who's the king, Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine. This is the biblical way of saying homeboy was wasted, okay? So watch this. He told seven eunuchs, you think your job sucks. Oh, you see, he told seven eunuchs who attended him, and then he names all the seven eunuchs, which I'm not going to name because I'm not that smart, to bring Queen Vashti to him. With the royal crown on her head, he wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. Now, I'm about to say something that's highly controversial. Some of you won't agree. Some of you will think it's mean. Some of you think it's insensitive. But I've promised you that I'll always speak the truth. And this is it. I don't understand women. I don't, and don't judge me because you don't either. Women, don't send me a hateful comment. Number one, I ain't got time. And number two, you don't understand you sometimes. Somebody come up, why are you crying? Oh, no. See, you don't understand you. Like there's stuff about you that we don't understand, like men don't understand. Why you got to take, take three suitcases when we're taking one on vacation? We don't understand stuff like that. There's stuff we don't understand. But what I do understand is Vashti in this situation. Because Bible scholars, most of them agree that when King Xerxes is asking for Vashti to be brought in front of all the nobles and everything, it says, um, with the royal crown on her head, that's all she was going to be wearing. That, that's all she was going to... So the king was hammered, wants his wife just to be wearing her crown and walk naked in front of everybody and be completely humiliated. And, and Vashti, said, Vashti said no. She was a very beautiful woman, but when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. And I said, good for her. 
This made the king furious, and he burned with anger because his wife said no to humiliation. Now, he had some advisors. And by the way, you can read all this. I'm just going to, this is a summary of Esther 1. He had some advisors, and they came to him and said, this is a problem because what's going to happen is the entire nation is going to hear that your wife didn't do what you told her to do And so women all over the nation are going to start disobeying their husbands, and it's going to get crazy. This this is a true story. It really happened. So so what we need to do is pass a law so that women will respect their husbands. Because we all know that passing a law solves everything, right? It's like, oh, people are racist. We'll just pass a law saying you shouldn't be racist, and people won't be racist anymore. And I think we're as racist now as we've ever been, right? Yeah, just uh, this. Think about that one for a little while. But do, do you, can you really issue a law for women to obey their husbands? And, and women go, you know what? It's, you know, he, it's against the law. It's against the law to dis- No, 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 that's not going to work. But they thought it was going to work. In fact, they went on to the, the book of Esther chapter 1, verse 19 20 says, so if it pleased the king, this is his advisors talking to him, we suggest that you issue a written decree. Now, don't miss this because this is going to come in important this week and next week and the week after. The the written decree. This is put in chapter one, and it's a nugget of information that we, we can skip over, but it's so essential to get this. A written decree. So it's a it's a law. It's like being issued by like, he is like the president, the Supreme Court, and Congress all rolled up into one. A written decree a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. So once a law in this time period was, once a law was like given, it could not be revoked. And that's huge. That's huge. It's going to come into play later on. We, 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 we think you should issue a law that can't be revoked. Um, it should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes. Pause. Ladies, was she mad about it? No. It's, oh, please don't punish me anymore. I can't be in your presence because you're trying to humiliate me. Um, and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. Watch this. This, this, is how, this is how men think when we get together sometimes. This is why we need women because women make us not stupid sometimes. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. Think the law worked? Uh Uh-uh. But it was the law. It was the law. And so that's how chapter one starts. Party, Vashti come in, crown, no, he banishes her from the presence. And he issues a law saying that wives must respect their husbands. And then we're on to chapter 2. Chapter 2 starts out like this. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking. Pause. Have you ever noticed that when you get angry, you don't think? I I don't know about you, but, but I lose the ability to have rational thought. But I, this is pr- like with my dog, Chance. He can make me so happy in one moment and so angry in the next. And when I'm angry, I will talk to him like he's a literal human being. And it, it, it makes, 
getting angry makes us dumber. Nobody's ever made a great decision when they're angry. So he had been angry. He banished the queen. And now he's calming down. He's like, you know, maybe I overreacted. Okay? He began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. So his personal attendance suggested. Now, this is where, this is where it gets crazy. This is where, if you're a Bible person, it's going to get really uncomfortable. So his personal attendant suggested, let us search the empire to find beautiful, young virgins for the king. Now, if you're the king, this is a good deal. Okay. I like like the way you're talking. I like the way you're talking. Tell me a little bit more. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem. Now, you can search biblical history and you can search secular history and you're going to find the same thing. What does the harem do for the king? They have sex with him. Everybody got that? They have sex. The king had a harem of women so he could have sex with them. That was their purpose. So this is a great deal for the king. But can you imagine the women that were pulled into this? They felt like their lives were just in pieces. When one person benefits and the majority of the people suffer, that's not a win. That's not a win. By the way, that was not a political statement. Everything all over the world is getting boiled down to political statement. That wasn't a political statement. It's a biblical statement. Hello. Love all the Republicans and the Democrats and the independents, even though most of them are high right now. Anyway, here we go. Um, here we go. The royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Hegai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, because you wanted a eunuch in charge of the harem because obvious reasons, okay? We'll see that they are all given beauty treatments. So we're going to take really hot girls, king, and we're going to make them hotter. This is great for the king. It's good for nobody else. After that, the young woman who pleases the king, pleases the king, pleases the king. Now, if you're in a harem, just a critical question, how is it that you please the king? You're not cooking for him. You're not cleaning the palace. You're having sex with him. These ladies are essentially sex slaves. This This is not a good place to be. This is not people's, this is not somebody's dream. Who pleases the king will be made queen instead of Ashtai. This advice was very appealing to the king, understatement. So he put the plan into effect. So all of these women are being rounded up, brought in, and they're going to be sex slaves for the king. This is where it gets crazy, and this is where we never really go there. Because I've heard um, Bible teachers say this was like a beauty contest. It wasn't a beauty, it wasn't a beauty contest. It was a harem. 
Here's the crazy part. As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Let me ask you a question. Did Esther feel like this? Absolutely. I mean, if you're Esther, I mean, this is like a WTH moment with God. If you don't know what that means, ask your teenager or Google it. It, it, it really is. It's like a WTH, God, because, okay, I was in, living in Jerusalem, and life was going good, and here comes the Babylonian army. I didn't complain when they took us to captive. I didn't complain when they marched us across two deserts. I didn't complain when they changed the language. I didn't complain when they changed everything. But now, all of a sudden, the king's got some urges, and he's self-centered and self-focused, and I'm supposed to go be a part of his harem, and I've got to have sex with this man, and if he likes me the most, I get to be the queen. God, I feel like my life is in like, how do you put this, how do, how do you take this and get it to here? How does this become this? I don't even know where to start. For me, when I went through what I went through back in 2016, this is how I felt. When you lose everything, when your life falls apart, and you, you felt like it was all together, but all of a sudden you find yourself holding pieces and I, okay, like here's a here's 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 a side little like corner. There's a corner. Look, I found a corner. There's a corner. It's a good place to start. Nine hundred and ninety nine pieces to go. Like how how do you how do you make this into this? Some of you feel the exact same way. Like what you've gone through or what you're going through. It, it's not as graphic as Esther's pain, and it wasn't as public, maybe, as what I went through, but there are some people here really wrestling with some stuff today. You're really wrestling with some stuff, and you're looking at God going, God, why? God, WTH, how could you let this happen to me? When I became a Christian, I thought I was signing up for this, but this is what I have, God. How, how do you make this work? Well, there's good news. There's good news. If, there's, if there is any good news that can come out of this, here's the good news. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. So Esther won the contest. But in order, don't miss this, don't miss this, because this is scandalous. This is the reason that we don't teach this. In order to win it, she had to have sex with the king. Isn't it funny how God will use scandalous people that have gone through shameful events? Because don't, don't, don't forget this. I'm sure at the time, there are self-righteous people that would have condemned her but let's not forget that this woman has a book of the Bible named after her. God takes scandalous, shamed, messed up people and always uses them for his glory because that's who he can get the most glory from. She had sex with the king. 
I don't agree, then there are a thousand other churches online. Go find one. This is, I'm just teaching you the Bible. This is, this is real. This is, this is as real as it gets. So he was delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor, which I'm sure she's tense the whole time because we remember what happened to Vashti, and she's like, don't do the crown thing, please. But he had learned kind of maybe his lesson. Um, So he set a banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and the giving of generous gifts to everyone. And we would expect the Bible to say, and they lived happily ever after, right? Nope. All of this was just a prelude. This was, this was essentially God taking this corner piece and getting ready to put something together that was so powerful, so amazing. It, was, it, it still baffles me today. By the way, the book of Esther, just a little Bible trivia here, the book of Esther is the only book in the entire Bible where the name of God is never mentioned, not once but you can see the hand of God all over this story. So let's go on to chapter three. In a seemingly unconnected event, does anybody remember, does anybody remember what Esther's uncle was, what his name was? Anybody? Mordecai, Uncle Morty. All right, here we go. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, which, I mean, if you're looking for a baby name, there you go. I'm quite sure that one's pretty not taken. The Agite over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. So Haman, 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 just kind of set this up. Haman is an evil person. We're about to see this all through. If you want to, in fact, you can go read Esther 1, 2, 3, and 4 today. It'll probably take you about 20 minutes. You don't have anything else to do anyway, let's be honest. So, so you can read through that and kind of get the, the, all of this in context. But Haman is an evil person. It's the first time we see him in this story. And watch this. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman, which, I mean, I, I guess that'd kind of be cool. You walk into a room and people bow down to you. I mean, that's, I guess that'd be cool. I don't know. I've never had that done. I just, we, we all... I, that's that would honestly that'd be weird for me, but like I guess it was cool for Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For the king had commanded, but Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. I, I don't know if you ever had the attitude. I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. But that's the attitude that Mordecai had. Now let me pause and explain. Mordecai was from a Jewish background. In the Torah. The law that Mordecai followed, it specifically banned or banished worship of someone or something else other than God. So Mordecai wasn't trying to be a social nuisance. He was like, I am not going to bow to a man. I'm not going to give a man my worship. I'm going to stay true to what God has put inside of me. This is my conviction, and I'm just not going to bow down to Haman. Well, Haman got pissed. Like, Haman got really pissed about this whole thing. And Haman went home and told his family, listen, I'm the king's right-hand man, and I've got all this stuff, and I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this, but this guy Mordecai won't bow down to me. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that we're the same way? That, that we will lose sight of all the incredible things we have 
because of the one thing that we don't have. We can get 99 positive comments on that Instagram pic, and we get one negative comment, and we lose our freaking mind. You know what this whole situation uh, that we're going through right now and the world has done for me? It's made me appreciate what I have. It's like people are freaking out going, oh, we're in quarantine. Yes, we're in quarantine in a home with electricity and running water and a refrigerator and a microwave and food. Most people have toilet paper. And if you don't, you got some trees in your backyard. Hello, we've got way more to be thankful for than we could ever imagine. But sometimes we can't be thankful for all of this because of this one thing. By the way, that'll destroy you. Because Haman goes to the king and says, "King, this was, this was Haman's idea. I could kill Mordecai or I could kill all his people. He knew Mordecai was Jewish. So he said, instead of just, instead of just killing one person, let's just kill all the Jews. Now, a couple issues here. Number one, Esther was Jewish. But Esther had not told the king she was Jewish because Mordecai said, keep your nationality a secret. So Haman goes to the king and he's like, listen, king, there's some people in your kingdom and they're a nuisance. They're, they're kind of bad. And uh, I just think we should kill them all. And if, you, if, if you'll just sign this piece of paper right here into law, remember when a law is issued, it can't be revoked. If you'll just sign this piece of paper into law, we'll just, we'll just kill them all and I'll give the treasury some money. And the king trusted Haman so much, the king was like, no, no, man, I'll sign it. Keep your money. Hold on to your money. So we signed a law, and this was in April of that year, that the following March, so they had 11 months, in the following March, all the Jewish people, men, women, and children were to be killed. If, if you're a Jewish person during this time period, this is how you feel. God, WTH, how could you let this, God, how could you, how, how, how does this become this? Mordecai finds out, and the Bible says he tears his clothes, and he's, he's crying, he's upset, as I would be, but then he had this thought. I know somebody that knows the king. Esther, my girl. I got somebody on the inside. All I got to do is break off a call to Esther. This is like somebody, this is like, this is like knowing somebody at Sam's, right? And they get the they get the case of toilet paper in, and you can kind of go to the back of Sam's and get the toilet paper. You're like, I know somebody, I know somebody. Mordecai's like, I know somebody, I got this. This is good. All Esther's got to do is go talk to the king, and the king will be like, Oh my gosh, that was a bad idea. And we'll just nobody's killing anybody, everybody's gonna be safe, everybody give it this big group hug, we're all gonna be good. That's not what happened. Because Mordecai let Esther know, Esther. You, you got to step in. You got you to gotta help out. And this was Esther's reply. Then Esther told Hathak, that was Mordecai's boy, to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials, even the people in the provinces know 
that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die. So in other words, king enjoys his quiet time. It's not like he's going to yell at you or throw something at you. It's just you just get killed if you interrupt him. You're doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. In other words, he's got, because he's got a harem, right? So he's, I mean, it's not like he's gone without for 30 days. He's got a harem. I mean, he's taken care of. He just is not interested in me. So essentially, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Essentially, Esther right here is telling Mordecai, no. Now, it's real easy to kind of stand back and judge Esther for this. Esther, how could you, how could you be so selfish? How could you be so self-centered? How could you, how could you say no to an opportunity like this? But let's not forget what Esther's gone through. How easy is it to judge somebody when you don't know their story? How easy is it to speak down about somebody when you don't know the hell they've gone through? You don't know the price they paid. You don't know the tears they've cried. You don't know the times they stayed up at night wondering if God loves them or if people love them. We, we, we step into judgment way too early when we don't even know their story. Instead of judging someone, we should stop and say, you know what? I, I can't say a word because I don't know their story because it's real easy to judge Esther here. Esther, what are you doing? Save your people. But after what she had gone through with being pulled off the street and being a sex slave and the here are the pieces and, and her life has started to maybe fall back into place. At least she's queen. I mean, some bad stuff had happened, but at least she's provided for. And now you want me to go talk to the king and he hadn't called me in for 30 days. And if I go in, he could, like, he could have me Killed some Mordecai. I just, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but the answer is no. Esther at this point was choosing comfort over stepping into a season where it took courage. And let's not judge her because we've done the same thing. Oh my God. How many times have we chosen the comfortable thing rather than the thing that required courage? For example, it's comfortable to hide the addiction. It takes courage to admit you have an addiction. It's comfortable to hide the anxiety. It takes courage to admit you're wrestling with anxiety. It's comfortable to admit the relationship is okay. It takes courage to admit you need help. And the comfortable are always those who can bet on things falling apart. But when you have courage, it's like finding that corner piece. Things start to come together one piece at a time. This, this is what she told Mordecai. This is what Mordecai said. I love it. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you'll escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. This 
is mind-blowing. Because Mordecai leans into Esther and says, Esther, I understand you're uncomfortable. But God's going to deliver the Jews. God's going to take care of his people. But maybe, Esther, maybe out of all these pieces, something priceless is going to happen. Maybe, Esther, maybe, maybe everything you've gone through, he acknowledged the pain and the hurt, the confusion, the WTH moments that she probably had. Esther, I can't do anything to take that pain away. But maybe the reason you've gone through all that you've gone through was for such a time as this. You are in the place to do what nobody else is positioned to do. And so what you thought were pieces were actually God's promises that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine, no matter how much the WTH moments stand out. I remember the day I got fired. I had a friend look at me in the eye. This is, and this is not what I wanted to hear. Friend looked at me in the eye and said, this sucks, but you're going to come out a better person. Now, in the moment, do you believe something like that? No. No, you think your life's over. But I look back on that season, and even though everything didn't happen the way I wished it would happen, you know what? I'm, up, I'm better emotionally. I'm better physically. I'm, I'm better spiritually. Like God used all of that pain for purpose because now I'm able to identify, like, like if somebody talks to me now and says, I, you know, my life's falling apart. I've struggled with this. In fact, I told a guy the other day, um, I, I've shared this before. I invited him to church. He's like, man, he said, I don't know if I can come to your church. I'm like, why? He goes, I've only been out of rehab for 10 months. I'm like, dude, I'm probably the only pastor in Anderson that's actually been to rehab. Um, he was like, oh, cool. You're one of my people. I was like, exactly. Come on. I wouldn't have been able to have that conversation. And so at the end of the day, what I, what I personally went through wasn't awesome, but I can see how God's using it. I can see how God used it in Esther's life. And you know what? I'll bet you he'll use it in yours. God does not waste pain. Your pain will not be wasted on anything. Yes, it hurts. I, oh, my God. The Christians, that, the Christians, I put that in air quotes to step in and try to tell you, you need to celebrate in the middle of pain. Okay, it, it, this sucks. We need to learn to, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. You know? And so if somebody's in pain, just acknowledge they're in pain. But, but God's going to use all of it. So he just does it. He just does it somehow. So when Esther got this, th this right here, this, this right here to me is one of the most moving parts of the Bible. Because Esther chooses to do what is right over what is easy. This is, she says, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then 
though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. Esther chose to do the right thing over the easy thing. The easy thing would have been to stay quiet. Got my nice little life. You know, I, I, all this is still in pieces, but, I, you know, I just got this, I got this one piece. I'm just going to hold. How ridiculous is it just to hold on to this when there's 999 other pieces that fall into place? Just going to hold on to my little piece, God, right here. Just going to hold on to it. God, thank you. Bless it and got it and help it. And, and knowing that, that how, how ridiculous is it when this could actually be this, that we would hold on to this and not want this. That's what Esther finally said. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to go in. I'm going to see the king. Now, for us today, this is what it means. By the way, we're going to pick up the story next week. Don't you love where I left that off? For those of you that don't know the story, you're going to go on and read it. That's fine. I mean, reading your Bible is never a bad thing. But this brought me around to the walkaway point I want us to have today, and it's this. It's a prayer that I heard years ago from someone much wiser than me, and, and I kind of grabbed it and held on to it as my own. And it's that prayer that I pray all the time. Lord, give me the wisdom to know what is right and the courage to do what is right, even when it's hard. I'm, I'm hoping that somebody watching today somewhere can literally pray that prayer. God, during this season of my life, give me the wisdom to know what is right and the courage to do what's right, even when it's hard. God, give me the wisdom and the courage, God, to pursue this instead of the peace. God, give me the wisdom and the courage to believe that you'll take the pieces and turn them into promises that are immeasurably more than all I could ever imagine. God, give me the wisdom and the courage to believe that you turn mourning into dancing. You turn beauty into, you turn ashes into beauty. You turn graves into gardens. You're the only one that can.